You're listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please feel free to contact us by visiting our website, harvestoakville.ca. Let's pray. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory. For the sake of your steadfast love and faithfulness. Father, I just pray for your strength, for your spirit to work in me and through me that you would take your word and you would just encourage your saints. You would save souls, those that don't know you, Lord. Encourage those that do. And Father, I just pray you would use this message today as a launching pad for those of us that desire to live in a way that brings you incredible glory. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I got to tell you, this is really a blessing for Pam and I to be here in Oakville. I got to say, we love Canada. In fact, amazing thing happened. We actually uh, were staying with some friends up in Muskoka. We got here on July 1st, and we drove up there, went to a beautiful town called Bracebridge, and they were celebrating the 4th of July four days early. We couldn't believe it. It was an amazing thing for us. I mean, the, 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 the fireworks were incredible. We felt so at home. I'm not sure what all the red and white was that everybody was wearing, but no, it's great to be here for Canada Day, and I think this is our uh, third time to be here, and we love Robbie and Jill. You know, the Apostle Paul talks about their people that refresh him, and I believe I could say that, that Robbie and Jill, just when we get with them, they refresh us. You know, your, your church, your pastor has had a huge impact not only in our life, but in the life of the Harvest Bible Fellowship. So many churches have been planted out of here. I mean, God is at work and doing great things, and we're really thankful for them. We love them. Uh, Pam and I have had a great time here. Uh, we go back to Phoenix tonight. Actually, yesterday was pretty cool. That it was 38, and today it's warming up a little bit to 41, and then it'll get back into the mid-40s by the middle and the end of the week, so you can pray for us as we go back there. And, uh, but it's been good to be here. Uh, I, got, I got to tell you one last thing. I mean, our youngest son and his girlfriend came with us, and they got, they got engaged up on Lake Joe, and so that was a really cool thing. They'll always remember that, as we will. So our youngest son is going to get ready to be married. Our, our, uh, our 23-year-old just got married, so we're, we're definitely entering in a new stage of life, and Pam's talking about grandbabies already. And uh, I'm going with it. Uh, actually, I'm excited about it. It's, it should be fun. All right. How many of you would love to live a life of spiritual fruitfulness that brings glory to God? Think about this. Have there been times in your life where you've thought, I would really love to have this fruitful life that just brings glory to God? And then we start talking about fruitfulness, and a lot of people have different opinions about what a fruitful life is, even though God gives us a lot of understanding on that, but we can have a lot of different views of that. But here's where it really gets tough. How? How can I have a life of fruitfulness? What, is it, what does it mean? What do I have to do? And that's where we can get weighted down sometimes. But you know, in John chapter 15, Jesus gives us the secret he says, I don't want you to have to figure this out on your own. I'm going to tell you. 
In fact, I'm going to give you the secret up front, and then we're going to look into it. And here it is, the secret to a life of fruitfulness. True fruitfulness happens only by abiding in the true vine. True fruitfulness. Truthfulness that brings fruitfulness, not truthfulness, fruitfulness that brings glory to God happens by abiding in the true vine. And so Jesus, on the night that he is betrayed, speaks these words to his disciples. John 15, verse 1. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so proved to me and my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. The secret of fruitfulness. So what do we learn about fruit bearing in this passage? Well, to understand the secret, you must understand the vineyard. To understand the secret, you must understand the vineyard. Uh, there's, a, there's an illustration that Jesus gives here. Now, you got to realize, this, is, this has been an intense night, Starting in John chapter 13, John chapter 13, you have the beginning of the upper room discourse. This is the night that Jesus is to be betrayed. He's now at the end of his three years of ministry. And he knew his time had come. They're in the upper room. And he introduces the elements of the Lord's Supper the last Passover. He takes the bread. He breaks it. He says, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. I mean, you could just imagine the weight of that to the Lord as he knew that that's where he was going. He was going to the cross. And then he took the cup and he says, this cup represents my blood that is going to be shed for your sins. Just the weight of that. And then in the most unbelievable act of humility, Jesus gets down on his knees and he washes the feet of the disciples. Now, Toby, I don't know you, but can you imagine the Lord Jesus Christ washing your feet? I mean, unbelievable. Over and over again, he talks about now one of them is going to betray him. And Peter, don't you love Peter? 
says, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. And he, Jesus says, before this night is over, you will have denied me before the rooster crows. And then he says, they will all fall away. And in John chapter 14, you know, he could just look into their eyes and see the weight. And he says, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Why? Because I'm going to go away. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and then I'm going to come back and take you to myself. You know, a lot of times we can think about, okay, Jesus is going to go and prepare a place for us. And I'm thinking he's going to redecorate this room for me. No, listen, heaven is already there, all set up. Jesus saying, is I'm going to go make preparation. I'm going to go to the cross. I'm going to open the way for you to have eternal life. I'm going to become the sacrifice once and for all in your place. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to take the wrath that you deserved. I'm going to be buried, and on the third day, I'll rise again. And for those that turn from their sin and, and believe that Jesus Christ is the, is the Christ, you will be saved. You'll have eternal life. He says, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. I mean, they're taking all this in. And then finally, at the end of John chapter 14, look at the last couple words in verse 31. He says, rise, let us go from here. So you see, Jesus at that point, he would have gotten up. And the other 11, Judas had already gone. They would have gotten up and they would have followed him out of the upper room, maybe down into Jerusalem through the temple courts. It would have been bustling with people because this is the time of Passover. They would have probably gone out the eastern gate of the Temple Mount called the Golden Gate. They would have gone down into the Kidron Valley. The, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that the Brook Kidron would have been flowing red with blood at that point because of all the sacrifices taking place in the temple. And then they would have gone up the Mount of Olives towards Gethsemane, which means wine press. Imagery, overwhelming. And then they would have come on a very familiar scene, a vineyard. At that point, Jesus may have stopped. He may have taken one of the plants in his hands and spoken the words, I am the vine. My father is the vine dresser. We can learn so much about the vineyard through his words here. And through learning about the vineyard, we understand the secret of fruitfulness. He gives us four terms. I want to look at those. First is the true vine. Jesus says in verse 1, I am the true vine. Ego and me. I am. Jesus at that point would have been declaring that he was Yahweh, that he was God. He used the covenant name of God that is used in Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, when Moses says, well, who should I tell them that has sent me? And God says, tell them that I am has sent you, that I am who I am. This is the seventh in the seven I am statements. In fact, when you read the book of John, it all has one purpose. In fact, John tells us that purpose in, in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, where he says, these things are written that you might believe and by believing, you would have life in my name. 
Seven different I am, seven different miracles, all uh, authenticating his deity, and then seven different I am statements. Jesus declaring that he is God incarnate. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And finally here, I am the true vine. Now for Jews, that would have been a shocking statement. See, Israel had always been known as God's vineyard. In fact, in, in Psalm chapter 80, verses 11, 8 through 11, uh, uh, the psalmist refers to Israel as a vine which was plant, transplanted, taken out of Egypt and put into another location. The prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 5 compares God's people to a vineyard, but then he charges them with being unfaithful and disobedient to the Lord. The prophet Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 15 declares that Jerusalem has become a useless vine, fit only for firewood. So the vine is this well-known symbol of Israel, yet they become a disobedient and unfruitful nation. And in contrast to that, Jesus says, I am the true vine. The first of the four terms, I am the true vine. And then here's the second term, the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. In fact, in the, in the NIV, uses the term gardener. The King James uses husbandman. Try to say that three times really fast. In fact, just turn your neighbor and say husbandman. It's, it's, you think it's hard. I mean, you try to be me sometimes. It's not easy. The father is compared to the person that dresses the vines, looking after them, pruning them, caring for them. Why? So that they'll bear good fruit. We'll see that in a minute. The father tends the vines. In fact, everything that the vine is doing is in obedience to the father. The son does everything he does in obedience to the vine dresser. In fact, as Jesus heads to Calvary, he's doing it in obedience to the vine dresser. Jesus says, I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. And then the third term, branches. Look at verse 2. He says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So the gardener's job involves tending the vine so that the whole plant flourishes. In fact, grapevines are plants that need a lot of work. They need to be trained. They need to be trained on a, on a trellis, and it all has a purpose for maximum fruitfulness. In fact, I've never been to the vineyards here, but Pam and I have had an opportunity to go up to the vineyards in uh, Napa, and just to watch how they tend the vines, and, and, and each branch is so valuable to the, to the vine dresser that they carefully place them on the trellis so that they'll have maximum fruitfulness. And it takes time for a new plant to produce, but it's the job of the vine dresser 
to guide the branch along, the trellis. Now, there's two types of branches we see here. The first is the branches that don't bear fruit. He says, every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. See, these are branches that for a while they seem like they're a part of the vine. But because they are unfruitful, they have proved themselves not to be part of the vine. They're kind of like Judas branches, if you will. Uh, they, they go along for a season, for a while. But over time, they reveal who they really are. Now notice here it says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, that when he says in me, now many people will say, well, that just shows that they were in Christ, but they lost their salvation. Well, that doesn't square with the rest of Scripture. We know from Scripture that once God calls you to himself and you embrace that truth, Romans tells us nothing can separate us from the love of God. In fact, uh, the Apostle John talks about it in 1 John 2.19 where he says, they went out from us because they were not of us. Had they been of us, they would not have gone out from us. But they went out from us to manifest that they'd never been of us. See, there are two types of branches. There are those that are connected to the vine and there are those that aren't. Well, the second is those that are. They're the ones that bear fruit. In fact, there's a progression we see in verse 2. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. In verse 5, we, say that we see that, uh, that it can bear much fruit. So there's pro progression of bearing fruit and more fruit and much fruit. And sometimes what the, what the vine dresser does is he prunes the branch. And there's a purpose. What is the purpose? Look what it says in verse 2. That it may bear more fruit. Some of you may circle that and say, that's me right now. God is pruning me. God is doing a work in me because he wants me to bear more fruit. God has been pruning me. And sometimes it's not fun. But he prunes us. Why? To bear more fruit. And see, so he wants us to bear more fruit so he gets the glory. Some of you are bearing fruit right now, but you've gone through a lot of pruning to get there. That brings glory to God. Well, what is fruit? That's the fourth term. What is the fruit that the Bible speaks of? Well, I want to give you a term right here. I'm going to, I'm going to actually give you a de definition of fruit. Fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived out through me. Or let me say it this way. Fruit is the life of Jesus in you being lived out through you. I want to give you five different types of fruit that we see in the Bible. In fact, if you're in John chapter 15, just turn to your right past the book of Acts to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Just turn to your right. And, and, and the first fruit is gospel proclamation. Gospel proclamation. In fact, look what, look what Paul says in his letter to the church in Rome. He says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented. And then he tells the reason. In order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
Paul was all about gospel presentation. He wanted to proclaim the gospel to people that were around him. See, God had so gripped his heart, God had so radically changed him that he could not not preach the, the gospel to people. I mean, one of the benefits of Pam and I coming to faith so late in life is we understood grace because we understood our sin. And we so badly, even today, want people to have what God has given us. And so God has given us a heart and passion to point people to him. It's a fruit. Paul was all about declaring the gospel. How about you? Are you declaring the gospel? Is there, is there a fruit of gospel proclamation? Here's the second one, personal holiness. Personal holiness. Turn again uh, to Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans chapter 6, verse 22. Romans 6 is an incredible chapter where Paul says, you are no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. And he says in verse 22, he says, but now that you have been set free from sin, what a beautiful thing that happens to us for those of us that are in Christ. Now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Holiness is personal purity. It's goodness. It's a disdain for the things that don't honor God. It's getting you to the point where you say, I hate my sin. I despise my sin because I know it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. He took the wrath that I deserved. It's knowing that you, you need to flee from the things that don't honor God. I wrote this down. The closer you are to Jesus, the greater your personal holiness. Okay, these aren't the secret to fruit. These are some of the fruit, and we're going to get to the secret in a minute, the secret to becoming fruitful. Here's the, here's the third, godly character. Godly character. The fruit of godly character. In fact, in, uh, Paul says in Galatians 5, and 23, the fruit of the Spirit, if you have the Spirit in you, if you're walking in the Spirit, you're not fulfilling the, the desire of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. How's that going for you? Are, are, are you becoming more loving? Is there more joy in your life? It's fruit. It, it's, it's, it's the life of Jesus in me being lived out through me. And, and notice that sometimes we can get caught up in this thought that, yeah, I, um, I'm really loving and I'm really joyful, except, I don't know if you guys know this, but in Toronto, they have traffic here, <laughs> a lot of traffic. I mean, we got caught up in it, and God was uh, testing my patience. But see, if I'm walking in the Spirit, like it's, it's not you can pick and choose some of the different fruits. There's only one fruit. It's the fruit of the Spirit, and it comes in nine different flavors, nine different manifestations. There's a secret to having a godly character. 
Jesus is telling us. And the fourth fruit is good works. In fact, Paul, in, in writing to the church in Colossae, he'd never been there before. Epaphras comes and tells them about what's going on in Colossae, how lives are being changed. And he says, And so from the day we, have, uh, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. He says, listen, I pray that you be filled with the knowledge of, of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why? That you would have a walk worthy of the calling for which you've been, uh, to which you've been called, fully pleasing him. And then he says this, bearing fruit in every good work. See, the Bible tells us that we are saved unto good works, Ephesians 2.10. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. But we're saved unto good works. That means that all of a sudden, we have now been bought, and we've been bought for a purpose the fruit of good works. So that means that we can no longer be just consumers of the church. We are here. We are the church. I would tell my church, I would tell our church, listen, this is not a place to come and be consumers. This is a place to come and be the church and to serve and to be used by the Lord and bring glory to him. The fifth fruit, sacrificial worship. Sacrificial worship. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through him let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Is your life a sacrifice of praise? That's a fruit. In fact, it's easy to come in here and I love your worship team. You know I love your worship team? Because they worship. And they lead us into worship. But it's one thing to come here on Saturday night or Sunday and worship, but what about the rest of the week? Is there a fruit of a sacrifice of worship? Does it show up in, do you have a passion for the Lord? Does it show up in your worship? Does it show up, does it show up in your personal holiness and your godly character and your good works? All right, so some of you are sitting there thinking, I can't do this. This seems overwhelming. This seems exhausting. This seems really hard. Well, it is. Unless you know the secret of the vineyard. Which brings us to our next point, and that is this. True fruitfulness comes from abiding in the true vine. Okay, I want you to think like farmers for a minute. In fact, how many of you are farmers in here? Okay, four of you. For the rest of you, five. You're going to have to use a little bit of imagination. But I think you'll get it. Fruit is the life of whatever is in the vine coming out of the branches. You have an apple tree. What should you expect on the branches of an apple tree? Apples. We have lemon trees in our yard. Guess what fruit comes off those lemon trees? <laughs> Lemons. Why? It's the life of the vine coming out of the branches. 
We were driving, we took our kids to Niagara Falls before they flew back to Phoenix. And on our way on the QEW, there's beautiful vineyards everywhere. My guess is those grapevines, I'm not a farmer, I did grow up in Indiana, but, but there's an expectation that off of those vines, as, as those branches feed off of the, the fat and the strength and the sap of that vine, they will produce what? Grapes. Fruit is the life of whatever is in the vine coming out of the branches. Notice, I want you to look back at, at John chapter 15. Actually, John chapter 14. Look at verse 13 of John chapter 14. Jesus says this. Whatever you ask in my Father's name, or whatever you ask in my name, look at those next four words. This I will do. That the Father may be glorified in heaven. Jesus doesn't say, this I will give you the power to do, or this I will allow you to do. He says what? This I will do. And then he tells you and me, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. See, if it was something that we did, guess who gets the glory? Me. That and a, maybe a dollar is going to allow you to get a cup of Tim Cortons. Tim Hortons, not Cortons. But you know that. Because you have Tim Hortons everywhere. Tim Hortons is omnipresence in Canada. <laughs> So are their donuts. <laughs> Honey, we got to get out of Canada quick. The donuts are calling our name. But he says, this I will do. Here's the point I want you to see. We have this lemon tree, and there have been times I'll stand out there and watch it, and Pam will say, Bill, what are you doing? I said, this is for a sermon illustration. I have never once seen that lemon tree struggling to produce lemons. Guess what it's doing? The branches are vitally connected to the tree and lemons appear. They, they appear. See, six different times in this passage you see the term bear fruit, bear fruit. And, and if you're any type of a Bible student, you know that repeated words tell you the theme of the passage. And certainly a big part of this passage is bearing fruit. But it's not the most important word in the passage. There's another word that's used 10 times. It's the word abide. In fact, nowhere in this passage are you, are you ever commanded to bear fruit. There's only one command in these verses. Abide. Abide. What Jesus is getting ready to do for his disciples is free them of trying to live this Christian life and, empower, and then to empowering them to live the Christian life. Look what he says. Notice what he says in verse 3 and 4. He says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And what he's doing is he's referring back to when he was washing the feet of Peter and Peter had said, Okay, I don't want you just to wash my feet. I want you to wash my whole body. And Jesus says, you are already clean. 
You just need your feet washed. He's talking to the believers. He's talking to those that have already been saved, that have been cleansed. And then he says this in verse four. He says, abide in me and I in you. And then he says this, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. This is the secret of a fruitful life. You want to have a fruitful life that brings glory to God. Here it is right here. You know what I love about our Lord? He doesn't make us guess. He doesn't hold back. He's saying, I love you. I want the best for you. And all you need to do is abide in me and I in you. Look at the intimate relationship is there. Okay, so the word abide. What does that mean? What does it mean to abide? It means to remain. It means to endure without yielding. It means this is where I'm standing and I am not moving off of it. Pam and I learned to do something these last couple weeks that really at our age we probably shouldn't do. We learn to wake surf. Now, I grew up, I've never been on a board ever. I grew up skiing, snow skiing. I grew up water skiing, as did Pam. But we've never been on a snowboard, on a surfboard, or any type of board where your feet aren't locked in and you're not at the beck and call of the rope or the hill. And so we're with, the friends of ours have two kids that actually go to school out in, in uh, Phoenix at Grand Canyon University, and they've become good friends of ours. And they took us out wake surfing, and now for our kids, it was great. Now, so here's, if you don't know wake surfing, and I'm really the wrong one to explain this, if you don't understand wake surfing, what they do is they put a lot of weight in one side of the boat, they are able to fill compartments with water, and what it does, it creates a deep wake and so what you do is you're only a few feet behind the boat, but you've got a rope and you've got your board and your feet are on your board and you say, hit it. And, you know, ideally you're popping up and you're getting in that wake. And once you get into the right place of the wake, you throw the rope and you're, it's pushing you along. But he, here's the challenge for somebody that it's new to. That's really beyond the age of... Okay, by that laugh, you know... That we probably shouldn't have been doing it, but, but I'm a lot younger in my mind than I am in my body. But So, I mean, okay, if I get up, and you know, you're, you're trying to find your place, you're, trying, you're, trying to, you're watching as others are doing it, you go back and do it, and the goal is, you, know, you don't want to get up on top of the wake, you don't want to be out, and you're fighting it, and your, your goal is to get into a place in the wave where it's pushing you along, and so you're, you're fighting it, fighting it, and I'm telling you, there's so, I mean, you get worn out, you get worn out in your legs, you get worn out in your arms, and that's not the way it's designed. The way it is designed is that there's this sweet spot in this wake, that you get your board in there, and once you're there, there's slack on your line because it's doing all the work. And you take the rope and you throw it in the boat and you're going along. And over time, you're, you know, ideally, you're back and forth and up and down. And I remember the one time they said, okay, take your back foot and move it around a little bit. And I said, 
If I move my foot an inch, I'm off. I mean, I'm, I'm tumbling. But see, here's the key. There's a sweet spot in the wave. And once you get in that sweet spot, it does all the work. And you're just, you're just going along for the ride. That's like abiding. Where God has given us a sweet spot. He says, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. God is saying, I've got a sweet spot for you. That's where I want you. In fact, I've been reading a book by Andrew Murray this summer, and it's called Abide in Christ. And he writes this. He says, abiding in Jesus is nothing but, going of, is nothing but giving up of oneself to be ruled and taught and led, and so resting in the arms of his everlasting love. He goes on to say that abiding is consenting to let him do all for us and in us and through us. He wants to do all the work. See, it's the life of the vine in us. It's the power and the strength and the sap and the fat of the vine working in us so it can work through us. We are not commanded to bear fruit. There's only one command. What is it? Jesus says, abide in me. Look at the relationship there. In is a preposition that, that connects two subjects. He says, you abide in me. It's that vital relationship between me and the Lord that allows me to bear much fruit. You have to be connected to the vine. Fruit is the life of the vine pressed out through the branches. If you want to live a life of spiritual fruit, you have to have the life of the vine being pressed out through the branches. Spiritual fruit is the life of Jesus in me being lived out through me, all to the glory of God. All a branch can do is remain connected to the vine. I'm telling you, loved ones, there is so much freedom in that. Look at verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. That's our union with Christ right there. I am the vine. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I am him, he it is that bears much fruit. Do you want to bear much fruit to the glory of God? There it is right there. But then he says this, for apart from me, you can do, what does it say? What can you do apart from God? He says nothing. You know what that says in the Greek? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, okay, you can get up, you can brush your teeth. You can get up, you can tie your shoes unless they're Velcro and then you just snap them on. Do people still wear those? <laughs> I just wanted to say that because I don't <laughs> anymore. <laughs> but isn't it Jesus that gives us breath? Does it, isn't he the one that allows us to live? But what he's saying here is, apart from me, you can't have any fruit of eternal value. It's kind of like taking a branch that has fallen off the tree and you, you tie it back onto the tree saying, okay. See, Jesus doesn't say, abide with me. He says, abide 
in me. This vital connection. See, if you were just to connect a branch by tying it against the tree, is it going to produce fruit? No. No. The blessings of coming to him are only fully enjoyed by abiding him. I love what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 11. He says, come to me. I mean, that in and of itself is an amazing invitation. The King of kings and the Lord of lords says to you, come to me. And then he says this, come to me, all you who are laboring, are you all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. See, so you come to him, you bring your burdens, guess what? There's a promise. I will give you rest. And then he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. See, I think so often Christians they live this life of trying so hard, but Jesus says, Come to me. But he doesn't say, just come to me. He says, abide in me. That's an amazing thing to even behold. And so now when I'm reading Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience. I'm not saying, man, I just got to work hard to be more patient, or I just... I just got to have more self-control. No. What you need to do is what? Abide in the vine. Be vitally connected to the vine. And then verse 6, he tells us the fate of those that don't, that never have. He says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. And you know what I love about our Lord? Those are hard words, but he doesn't... I mean, he's not hiding the truth. What is the truth? If you are not in Christ, if you don't abide in Christ, if you're not vitally connected to the vine, if you've never been a part of Jesus Christ, listen, there's an eternal judgment separated from God in hell. Why does he tell us that? Because he loves us. He wants us to know the truth. And let me just say this. If you're here today and there's never been a time that you've turned from your sin and you turn to Jesus as your only hope for eternal salvation, this is God's invitation to you. He says, come. Turn from your sin. Believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he was raised, and that he's your only hope for eternal salvation. Verse 7. It's a really important verse. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Does God's word abide in you? Does God's word remain in you? He says, he, he says, if you abide in me and my words abide, where's, where do we find God's words? They're right here. He's given us his word. Again, a picture of God's grace. He didn't have to, but he did. And, and so I want to talk about some practical ways for the word of God to abide in you. Here, here's the first one. I'll just do this quickly. First of all, you got to plan. Plan. Plan a place and a time where you're going to meet with God. 
Here's a question. If you had a business meeting next Wednesday at 10 a.m., might you write that down? Might you make sure that you get there? Why wouldn't you do that with the most important appointment you could ever have? The creator of the universe wants to meet with you. Put it in your calendar. Don't let any other meetings get in the way. Have a plan. Set an appointment. Plan to read. Plan to pray. Two, decide. Decide ahead of time how you're going to read, what you're going to read. Here's what you don't want to do. No lucky finger reading plans. Okay, let's see what the Lord has for me. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Uh Uh-oh. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. I'm not really sure what that means, but that probably means I'm not going to have a great day. Listen, you're reading that out of context. You don't, listen, he wrote this, if, if I were to, listen, if some of you really cared about were to write you a letter, wouldn't you read it from the beginning to the end? Or would you just pick out sentences at a time? He wrote you a book. He wrote you a letter. He wants you to read systematically through. And you know, if you go to your website, Harvest, Mus- Harvest Muskoka, we were there last week, harvestoakville.ca, under resources, you have some great reading plans from a 90-day extreme reading plan to a 52-week plan to a three-year plan to the Grant Horner reading plan to the Robert Murray McShane reading plan. Take one of those plans and read it. And just go through the Bible. You know, the one thing I, every morning when I leave the, the house, Pam's in the same chair with her same Bible with her same reading plan, even though it's changed this year, her same pencil, the same light. She's being fed by the Lord. The Word of God is dwelling in her richly. And ever since we've come to Christ, she's been doing that. Ever since I came to Christ, God has... It's called me to read his word. Give me a hunger for it. And, and here's the thing. Read until you read. It's like pray until you pray. You know what that means? It's, it's like, okay, you can pray, but you're really not praying. Am I the only one that's ever done that? Okay. You're praying, but you're really not talking to God. You're just kind of getting out of the way. Have you ever read and you've got nothing out of it? Okay, that's happened to me many times. So get, get with the Lord. Pray for him to open up your eyes, open up your ears. Pray and uh, read until you read. Okay, plan, decide. Third, memorize. Memorize passages. Memorize paragraphs. Memorize scripture. Allow the word of God to get in you, to work in you and work through you. It can be its work, but it can be so effective. I know you do it in your small groups. You know, have three by five cards that you just take with you and memorize scripture. Fourth, journal. Write out what God is saying to you. See, it causes you to slow down. It causes you to engage with God, engage with the scriptures. Journal. It's a great spiritual discipline. Here's a fifth thing. Read. Read Christian biographies. Read about great men and women of the faith. Do you know, and this is above and beyond your your Bible reading, do you know that if you were to read 15 or 20 minutes a day, that in a year you would read 12 to 15 books? I mean, you could grow. 
so much allowing the word of God to abide in you. And finally, and this really should be the first, Jesus. Remember that you are engaging with God. You are engaging with the Lord when you read. Allow the word to work in you powerfully. That's why he says in verse 7, If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, it may be done for you. I want to give you now, just as we end, some benefits of abiding in the true vine. Now, we've already talked about one of them, and that is fruit. Benefits of abiding in the vine. It's fruit. Well, let me give you five more. You'll have a changed prayer life. Your prayer life will change. Look at verse 7 again. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Notice conditional, if. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. See, what happens is as God abides in you and his word abides in you, what happens is what you start praying is no longer my will be done, Lord, but what? Your will be done. See, it's no longer self-centered prayer, but it's God-centered prayers. It will radically change your prayer life. Here's the second benefit. God is glorified. Remember when I asked the question at the beginning of the service? I mean, who here would like to live a life that that produces fruit and glorifies God? See, look at verse 8. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit by this. See, it is not by trying to be more fruitful, but it is by doing what? Abiding in the vine. It's remaining with the Lord. It's, it's, it's allowing the, the vine to work in you and through you so you can produce much fruit. Listen, God is glorified through that. Third, proof of discipleship. It's proof that you're one of his. Look what it says again in verse 8. By this my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. By their fruits, Jesus says, you will know them. See, somebody that's truly in Christ that is being nourished by the vine, the true vine, is going to produce fruit. Fourth, we experience divine love. Look at verse 9 and 10. I could spend a lot of time on each one of these, but I'm not going to do that because it's almost lunchtime. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. As the Father has loved Jesus, that must be an unbelievable love he's loved us. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, so I have loved you. He says, abide in my love, remain in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, it's through abiding that we experience this unbelievable love with our Lord. And finally... The last benefit of abiding in the true vine is uncommon joy. I can just imagine Jesus just stops. He looks at his disciples and he says this. He says, guys, all these things I've spoken to you 
that my joy might be in you and that your joy might be full. And when he says full, it's full to overflowing. My joy. Now, this is not just some happiness. This is a supernatural joy that isn't dependent upon circumstances, but it's a deep, settled inner pleasure that only comes from being connected to the vine. Listen, if you're struggling to have joy in your life, Jesus says, I've told you these things. What have I told you? To abide in me and I in you. He says, I've told you all those things that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Now, let me just, let's look at this for a minute. What if I don't abide in the vine? Well, we know that apart from me, you can do nothing. You're not going to bear fruit. Your prayer life's not going to be changed. God won't be glorified by you. Now there's a question, are we even disciples? I'm missing out on this incredible divine love. And no joy. That's why the Lord says, he says, abide in me and I in you. He he calls us to that. I am the branches, you are the vines. Listen, all a branch can do is hang on to the vine. All a branch can do is press into the vine. That's what he's calling us to do. Run to Jesus, hang on to Jesus, hold on to him tightly. Let him be your source and your strength so that you can bear fruit to his glory. I want to end with these words from Jesus. John 8, 31, he says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you, what? Free. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this incredible truth that in Jesus Christ we have been freed from trying to live the Christian life. We've been freed from our sins. Father, help us to rest in you. Rest in your love. Rest in your grace. Hang on to you with all that we have. And Father, we thank you for these truths. And Lord, I just pray even now, if there's anyone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray you would save them. I pray that they would, by faith, turn from their sins and turn to you. Receive your love and your grace. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.